Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and I'm back today with Classy Vessels. We were together last week, and we had a lot of requests for, um, for, for Classy to come back onto my program because a lot of people said we hadn't finished what we were talking about, and we never do Classy. And we were going to get together in, in next month, but in actual fact, we decided that we'd rather do it now because of the momentum that had been built up. So welcome, Classy, and we're back on Skype, so I can see you on my screen. Hello, how are you? Morning, morning Sue. Good, good. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to be with you, too. Um, we do have new people um, listening in every single time, so let me just introduce Classy to you. He's a diplomat logotherapist. He's an internationally qualified educator in logotherapy. He's a leadership coach, an executive coach, and he coaches and mentors uh, business on the business level as, and the personal level. He's also the director of the uh, Street School Journeys of Discovery and takes life-changing trips to the Himalayas, which the next one's going in April. He also is taking a mindfulness journey to, uh, to India and what was very exciting for other people, I'm sure, not for me, he's going on a motorbike on high altitude roads later in the year to India. <laughs> so if you're a biker, get hold of Classy. Hello, Classy. Um, I just wanted to tell you that there were two quotes that came through that they said they thought you'd enjoy it because we're continuing with our growth through the storm. And the one quote that came through was, you meet your destiny on the road you take to avoid it. That was Carl Jung. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the other one was, fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision by Winston Churchill. Ah, very cool. So the both of those came through and said, please share them with Classy. Thank you. You know, the power of quotes, uh, I mean, we we all relate to quotes now. I'm sure we all have our favorite quotes. Um, they have the ability to capture so much in a few words. Uh, it's, it's just such a clarity. Uh, you know, I, I'm reminded years ago in, in, when I was still in advertising, um, we used to have a department that writes strategies, and then we had a creative department, uh, and many others also. But uh, sometimes people would say that creative people are sometimes the best strategists because they are able to distill a huge picture and a great volume of, of narrative and reasoning into one sentence or one picture or one statement. Yeah, so thanks for those quotes. They, they you know, that is so true. I love quotes. And I often, when I'm thinking of a, a program, I often actually look through quotes and one word will, will stand out to me and an entire program comes into my head through that. Mm-hmm. Um, now the other thing was that I was asked to to actually how would I explain you? Now this was quite a, 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 a an interesting question. 
So what was it that, that I relate to you with you? So I said, first of all, it was we're, we're both logotherapists, so we are colleagues in that field. But I said, a classy is a seeker of meaning and of purpose and finding inner peace in a turbulent world. And I said, uh, you know, I believe that that's very much what what I feel in you that attracts me to you as as a person. That's the the constant search that you are always on. Mm. Yeah, you know the the sad um, the sad truth. I don't know if the truth is sad, but in this case, you know the the fact that I spend my life with this kind of work obviously suggests that me myself deep in my heart of hearts are also not sure about a lot of things you know i i might come across as being so so clear and and certain and you know but, but it's not true you know i'm forever questioning stuff and I, I just i just think these are the important questions in life you know for me you know that is ultimately um you know i i just think it's really important to to, to think about love, and I, I, I don't know if we're going to talk about sto- we're going to talk about stoicism today, right? Yes, we are, but okay. we're first going to talk about what other people wanted to know about. Okay. Apparently, I interrupted you last week when you were about to talk about the roundabout. So let me just yes. tell the story again. I told the story of a children's playground, and there was a roundabout there, and children was pushing themselves on it faster and faster. There were quite a few children. In the, the on that roundabout, and each child would jump off and then push with a and then rush uh, jump back on again. And one child fell off, and the mom comforted this child. And I was wishing that the mom would actually encourage the child to go back on, but she didn't. So you were going to answer me about that uh, playground. Do you remember what you were going to say? Uh, yes, uh, clearly, and. I now need to find a link because I'm going to make a leap here. I'm going to jump because okay. the the obvious discussion is let, the mum should have, you know, you fall off the horse, you get back on the horse. That's the only way to overcome your fear. And what is the effect of the fall and that incident on the child? And how does that affect the child later on? You know, these are, are typically what we would what we would think about. <clears throat> now, just quickly, I just want to quickly wrap that thought. The one beautiful lesson from logotherapy, what Frankel teaches us, is that we are able to take a stand, to take decisions, to make a change, to deal with life, despite our biological, psychological, and sociological history. So we can defy what has happened. So if the child was damaged, falling off the swing, it is possible to later on make nothing of it or make something use, useful of it, or deal with it in a positive way. So it is not necessarily damaging years later. But I'm going to leave that aside. The more intriguing thought for me is, when I hear of children on swings, I think of dreams. Kids dream. They are spontaneous. And I'm going to go into this conversation with a piece of research that was done by a guy called George Land in 1968. 1,600 kids were put through a research program. It was later transferred to NASA because they wanted to figure out what happened to creative thinking and dreams. And we're dealing with divergent thinking and how divergent thinking is useful for creativity because our schooling system teaches us convergently. We, We need to think 
the same. We are taught to think in a particular way and in such and such and such and such a way. Do things this way, this way, this way, this way. We are not taught to just flow and be dreamers and, and, you know, let imagination go. They tested, just a quick stats, 98% of the four to five year olds were rated as genius when it comes to creativity. Those Mm. same kids at the age of 10, 30%. Oh, my word. Those same kids at the age of 15, 12%. So basically, non-creative behavior is learned. We are are taught Taught. to not be creative. It dropped to 2% for people 31 upwards, 30 plus. Isn't that sad? So that is so sad. So now this... We're going to get back to that 2% in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson, and I'm on Finding Human, and my guest today is Classy Vessels. If you'd like to contact us, please do on SMS 34519, or you can WhatsApp us, or at least telegram us, on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Classy, I'm back with you. You were talking about the creativity and how it just it diminished over the years until as adults there was two percent creativity. But just go on with that thought. So so in understanding creativity, I look at it as it's the art of connecting connecting the seemingly unrelated. I mean, that's the beauty of somebody putting together something. It's got two components. I mean, imagination is sort of twofold. There's the the combining faculty, the ability to bring things together, whether it's facts or things or ideas or points that seemingly do not have some relation. And the second faculty is like this. It conceives in thought something that is very far away and that is like not clear. It's, It's sort of the language of the unseen things. Now, that, that is that is how I, I look at creativity. And I'm now going to jump to a quote. You, you, we started with quotes, and, and I think you mentioned Carl Jung. Um, he, he had this quote, he has this saying that nothing is as scary as a parent with an unfinished childhood. Wow. And we all know the parents running around the sports fields telling their kids what to do and criticizing children for not behaving in a particular way. So, you know, and, and I don't, I don't want to talk about parenting, but back to the, back to the, the, the dreams. And, you know, the, the, the logic of dreams is sort of superior to some of the rational thoughts we sometimes we have. And we, I think, you know, that, that child on the swing is dreaming. He, he plays with things and he's got grand, he's got the most fascinating ideas. But 30 years later, they're gone. And it is, there's something so sad about that, that we are so governed that we have lost that, that power of imagination and power of creativity. That is so true. You know, I clearly remember I had this beautiful swing um, at home and I, I clearly remember as a little child, um, 
actually swinging higher and higher and higher and wondering if I could ever reach those clouds that were above me. You know, that was the dreaming, which was so beautiful. But, you know, um, you know, you, you say, you know, how the damage we can do with our children, but also not only in, in protection like that, but in entitlement. So it's not in saying to the child, you can't do this, you can't do that, but it's also there's so many children who are, are feeling so entitled in this world that it's uh, it's quite frightening. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. You know the the the. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm I'm jumping again to uh, another thing we often talk about: uh, FOMO, the fear of missing out. You know this 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 nervousness we get. Because of the absence of what we want. And, and you know, the, the, this, the, this thing, you know, is sometimes there's a gap. If we need to make a change, if we need to jump, I'm, I'm still talking about creativity here. If we need to take a leap into an area that is unknown to us, we know where we are. We, we are comfortable with our footing of where we stand. And in front of us is this emptiness. Now, this empty space of uncertainty could be an abyss that we fill with fear and dread and negative stuff, or it could be a space that is filled with dreams and hopes and positive things. And somehow, you know, we, I'm, I'm, I'm also looking, I've got a, a side eye on, on our discussion on stoicism because the, you know, we are never taught actually how to think. We, we, well, we are taught what to think. We are not taught how to think. We, you know, we're not talking a process of things. So, in, you know, in days like, and, and, and um, um, Yuval Harari is, is, is big on this, where he says, in future, he, he refers to them as philosophers. But now this is not the philosopher who speaks in languages that nobody can understand. But, but the people who can think, people who can think freely, people who can think unconventionally, is going to be a currency that's going to be in demand. And, um, you know, this, this, it, it just gets governed out of us. Sorry, I'm, I'm repeating that's the same point here. That's beautiful, you know, what you're saying there, because I think COVID has made many people, this time of pandemic, because it's changed so many people's way of living, so many people's uh, income, people are having to think differently, more out of the box. What is the future holding for them? Because for many, what, what was is now coming to an end or has ended. And they are having to think about what is the future holding. So what you say is actually go into this with a creative thought, with a mm. daring thought. What can you still mm. do? Mm. Yeah, you know, and this fear of missing out, we all can relate to the to the FOMO concept. I mean, the, the, and, and, and Socrates, we know the quote that an unexamined life is not worth living. Mm. I think from, from what I've studied, um, it is not quite as literal as that. What he meant was an unexamined life is not useful, meaning you must check things out. You must analyze things. You must sort of, you must scrutinize. Don't not just, just blindly, exactly, and don't just blindly truck along. Flip that, that an unlived life, is not worth examining. I'm talking now about FOMO. This feeling that, oh, I should have done that, I should have done that. And here, logotherapy, again, last week we spoke about the uh, the tragic triad of which guilt um, is is an element. The fact that if we have regrets, and I'm, I'm adding regrets into guilt, that we deal with them 
constructively learn from them and, and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I'm told that in the Tibetan language, there isn't a word for guilt because there is a there is a suggestion that if you've done something that you shouldn't have done, you should look at it, analyze it, check it out and decide you're not going to do it again and then try not to do it again. And if you do it again, you repeat the process until you get better and better and better and better. So to your point about in this COVID, you know, we, we have regrets. We have, oh, things couldn't be this way, that way, the other way. But getting, getting stuck there is not really useful. And, and the Stoics are big on being pragmatic and right. learning from what has happened to actually move, move forward more intelligently. So we're going to discuss the Stoics. Marcus Aurelius was a, a Stoic, wasn't he? Yes, was he yes, one yes. Of them? yes, yes. So yes. I've got this quote on his. All you need are these. Certainty of judgment in the present moment, action for the common good in the present moment, and an attitude of gratitude in the present moment for anything that comes your way. Mm. Yeah. Now that is an amazing uh, what he's got to say, especially going through a storm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, he is attributed. Uh, I mean, he's probably the uh, him and Seneca are probably the two most famous Stoics, although uh, they came much later. But uh, Aurelius is often quoted as the most successful CEO uh, who ever lived because he was in charge of the, you know. Uh, empire um 65 um ad but stoicism itself it's, i mean it's, it's it originated in greece about 2300 years ago by a guy called zeno and the name comes from they sat basically on the stoop on the porches yeah stoas and had these discussions um oh. so they got referred to as the stoics the people who sat and, and had these philosophical discussions on the porches. But, you know, the, the, there's a there's a disconnect between the word stoic, because if we look at stoic, lowercase s, stoic, it means it's this doer, take it on the chin, grunt it out, you know, bear the pain, you know, uh, don't show any emotion. That is not the stoics. That, that is not what is meant by, and when we talk about the stoics with a capital S, they were interested in flourishing. They were interested in how do we make a life that is, that is, that is beautiful. And they talk about eudaimonic, you know, happiness. So, so they actually were, um, they had an attitude and they spoke about a cosmic city. They were the first cosmopolitans because they look at the whole world as one. We are all in the same play together and we all share the same cosmic breath. So they were actually interested not so much in how do I bear it as much as how do I make life better for me and for the people outside of my, you know, the other people. So they were very much for us as a whole. How do we live as a whole together? And the two, the, the two cornerstones of the investigation was nature, understanding the world. So they were very keen on how does the world work? Stuff, how does stuff happens? And the other nature is my nature. How does my nature work? To better understand my nature in order to work better in the outside, if I can call it that, outside nature. Mm. That's fascinating. I must admit. So does Soc- Socratic dialogue, which Viktor Frankl talks about, does that come from the Stoics then? Yes, they came after uh, Socrates. Um, so, so Socrates preceded Stoicism, but very much, very much influential. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. 
Yes. So how would you say that stoicism, stoicism can actually help us through the storm now? So, so, so okay, so let's talk about how do you do stoicism. Let, let me, let me, let me jump to that. Yes. So, so they would, uh, they would say things like, you must do daily meditations. And when they talk about meditations, they mean, you must imagine or you must think about what has happened today. So Seneca was big on journaling. So they would say, so, so in, in this context, meditations is look at what happened today. So somewhere I was in, I embarrassed somebody somewhere. How did that happen? What was that all about? Uh, maybe I shouldn't do that again. Well, how did I feel? Or I was embarrassed by somebody. I came in and somebody made me sit in the back of the room and I should sit in the front row. And I felt aggrieved by this. So what happened there? Is it my ego? Uh, did I feel they didn't sort of respect my stature and my state status? And maybe I've got an inflated self-opinion. So this is what is referred to as meditations. And he would do this apparently every night. He would write and, and, and journal and, and go and, and analyze these thoughts of himself with the intent to tomorrow not be so affected by, by thinking. So that will be the one thing. Another thing that they were big on is what they call a, a, a pre-rehearsal. So, and here, this, I'm now going to sort of choose my words so it doesn't come out the wrong way, is to imagine the negative and the worst that could happen and to open up other possibilities of outcomes. So I'm going into a meeting. I'm going to deal to make. I've got to sell something to somebody. I've got to close something. And imagine... All the op options. What could happen? Yes, they could sign it. Yes, they could chase me out the door. Yes, I could be embarrassed because there's another deal on the table that is much better than mine. Whatever. You know, so, so the idea is that you rehearse your future actions and you open yourself up to possibilities so that if they buy it, happiness, I'm okay. If they reject it, chase you out the door, that's okay. I was prepared for it. I'm out the door. It's not the end of the world. So, so this pre-rehearsal, because often we, we, we want an outcome and we stuck on that outcome. And if it's not like that, the whole world's going to fall apart. That is very fragile. So they will teach us to just make yourself, just create some uh, mental robustness by just considering um, uh, other options. Um, Would you say that that's a, a bit of vulnerability, allowing ourselves to feel that we are vulnerable, yeah. that vulnerability. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it, absolutely. Sorry, now that I, the, now that I listen to your, your, <laughs> your question properly, and that takes courage, like Brené Brown would say, you know, it is, it takes a huge amount of courage to be vulnerable because we don't want to look like we don't know <laughs> and that we're not sure, you know, yeah, absolutely. Also, they would um, they would tell us to think about what we can control and what we cannot control. So you know this whole locus of control, it's big, and but it comes from these guys two thousand three hundred years ago. They would say, if you can, if you have a problem, and there's the, the, it, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm adding two things in here. Let me deal with the first one. If you have a problem and there's something you can do about it, then do something about it and get on with it. No, no need to worry. If they've got a problem, there's nothing you can do about it. What is the use of worry? Now, it's easy for me to, it's easy to say this, but at least it's a start to realize, you know what? 
there's nothing I can do about this. Maybe I must just let it go and work and work on yourself because the, the, this what they also will tell us is this doesn't happen by itself mm-hmm. you know mental gym mental gym not mental gymnastics the mental gym is something that we don't really respect we go to physical gyms but we don't really do mental gyms you know we don't really teach ourselves how to think so the one thing is about the control you know if you can if you can't control it the other dimension to this one is your spheres of control. There are things that you can control. There are things that you have some influence over. And there's things that you have no control over. So I have got no control over COVID. No, not a sort, nothing. But I have influence of control over how I sanitize. So yeah, sure, I can do that. But if I get it, I get it. What is going to happen? You know, I've got, I've got no control over how a virus travels. So also to look at the domains of control, they will teach us to have this perspective on things that we encounter every day because that will help us just take and, and, and the word next word here is what is called equanimity. It, we, we can then handle things in a bit more of a balanced, calm, controlled, organized, not decent, not it's not that you're not sense, you're not it's not psychologically not desensitized. Yeah, 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 but just you just. You're just sort of calm and and in control because that's after all what they were hoping to do is that we are able to navigate through life just with a with a with a calmness and a control and a and a and a sort of a slight smile on the on on the lips. You know that's fascinating because so much of that is coming back in again. You know the mindfulness, the the journaling, all of that. You know it's it's coming back into today's world, and I think especially through this uh, pandemic, that people are questioning, and there's so many YouTubes you can get now on journaling, on mindfulness. It's quite amazing. When I started looking at this years and years ago, it certainly wasn't there then. Um, I see that a message came through from Carol, and she says, what is the name of the bookshop uh, in Glen Hazel? Carol, it's called the Colel Bookshop. K-O-L-L-E-L. Um, now, class, I think we're going uh, to, to break for now, and we'll be back in a second. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello. You're about to listen to a very short YouTube, and this is actually in honor of Sydney Poitier on spirituality, serenity, and peace. Thank you, Craig. During my earliest years, I was constantly exposed to to nature. There were, for instance, no automobiles and no motorized vehicles at all, boats or, or trucks or cars. So the sounds that came to me when I was a boy were the sounds of the environment, were the sounds of insects singing and the sounds of water against the shore. But then when I went to places where there were cars and traffic and people, I began to realize the difference. I could walk on a beach for hours and hours by myself. I used to do that lots. And I would listen to the sounds, all of which were natural sounds. There was a purity. Uh, there was a closeness to nature. I know that it was a most powerful influence on 
the rest of my life, I honor my spirit when I think of the core values of my parents. My father didn't define his core self by material things. He didn't. He loved us and he cared for us and he talked to us and he nurtured us. My mother's spirit is always around me, always there, guiding me almost. I can sense it. I first felt that sense of connection with my parents on Cat Island, and I never lost that. My spirit is honored when I think of my connectedness to the universe. I feel I'm a part of everything. I'm a part of nature. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Classy Vessels. And Classy, a message came through on my phone to say, will you please talk a bit about boundaries that we started last week, but we didn't go on with it. Now, Brene Brown, I know, says boundaries are what's okay and what's not okay. But there's so many different types of boundaries. Do you want to just catch up on that of what we spoke about last week? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I I like to simplify things for myself because if if it's simple, I can understand it. <laughs> so just for a moment, let's just start with boundaries like the boundary around your house. So we 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 need boundaries for emotional well-being. That is ultimately why we need to ha- draw boundaries, have boundaries, know about them, manage them, all those good things. But like a wall around a house, a boundary can be so rigid that it is stifling or it can be so porous and open that it is such a free flow that I actually lose myself. Mm-hmm. So I think just as a general comment, I think it is a balancing act and, 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 and there are many kinds of boundaries, but it's a bit of a balancing act and it's not a one size fits all. We do need boundaries, but it doesn't mean we only need firm locked in hard brick walls around us that will that will stifle you that will squeeze the juice out of you we all know that dogs you know dogs in a yard will bark and will be aggressive the moment you let them run in a park they run free they enjoy themselves they're happy they all over the show they they love it so in the same way boundaries can be very restrictive and not good for us I'm not, I mean, you get, I think you get. No, I have to agree with you. I never forget a colleague of mine and I, like a therapist colleague of mine and I, we're, we're running a workshop in Alex at a school and Alex Township. And um, she came from, from Alex, but in different circumstances, we were working with quite a group of, of child-minded families. And um, one of the, the children, one of the boys said, his boundary was to put an old towel that he had over his head because he was in one room with his siblings and he was the, the, the minder of all these siblings. So the only way that he could show them boundaries was actually to put this towel over his head. And I've never forgotten that. 
And then I also met uh, at, at one of the concentration camps in Poland a survivor who actually said that one of the greatest shocks to him was the fact that there were no boundaries in the mm. camps. Mm. And you had to share your bunk with all these mm. people. Wherever you were, your thoughts were taken, your 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 Space was taken over and that the only boundary that he ever had was at night when he managed to get into mm. his thoughts. But mm. that took a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, just to be clear, we do need boundaries, but we need to understand this. We, we need to understand this concept that is sometimes used very generally. So if I say for you, for instance, we can have intellectual boundaries, we can have physical boundaries, we can have emotional boundaries, we can have material boundaries, we can have time boundaries. Just, just by me just pulling out a couple of themes, we can see that intellectual boundaries is how do we entertain differences of opinions? That is a boundary. Like, I'm gonna, if it's not according to my opinion, it's, it's not good or it's such a way. And if it is, then it's another way. So that is a boundary. Now, somebody who is like, only thinking my way is the right way. Yeah, you know, maybe, but maybe not. So, so just there, there's some work to be done. Um, physical boundaries you just referred to. We all need physical boundaries, you know, especially if we, you know, I, I know from the times that I've been to uh, Europe and certainly India, you know, they, they have a very different respect for physical boundaries than here. You know, they much stand much closer. They don't care. That, you know, so, so, and at first it takes a bit of getting used to. So there is a, a, a boundary area to be worked on. Material boundaries. Like we all know as kids, my toy is my toy. And I'm not sharing my toy. And I think we finished with this last week. Yeah. Our toys just change as we grow older. <laughs> You know, so my car is my car and my this is my and I'm not going to share it. And we hang on. And that boundary is so rigid. And sometimes maybe, you know, they need, it needs to be relaxed a little bit. It, it needs to be shared. Um, time boundaries is, is obviously uh, in the times of COVID very pertinent because um, people are, are now supposed to be 27, uh, 24, 7 available. Um, you can have a meeting any moment. You know, you have a laptop. Why can't you join the meeting? You're at home. You know, you know, what do you, so, so, so how do we switch? You know, uh, how do we manage our time, time boundaries is, is also important. So all of this. So, so the whole bound, bound boundary thing, I think for me in summing up this uh, uh, part of it, um, is finding a balance between having clear lines and clear rules of what goes and what doesn't go, but also be open for a bit of flow. Because you never know. It is in, you know, a friend of mine uh, years ago said that music is the spaces between the notes. You can follow the notes, of course. Absolutely. But, you know, there are spaces where things may appear that you didn't foresee. And mm. boundaries, so, so sometimes we need to, I'm suggesting that we yeah, need to be porous sometimes as well. And I absolutely agree with you. This is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and I'm with Classy Vessels. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, I'm Sue Jackson, and my guest today is Classy Vessels, and we were talking about boundaries. Going back to boundaries, you know, I think one of the greatest boundaries that we have to remember, and I, and I especially remember this in grief counseling, and, and is, is in compassion and empathy. Those boundaries we need to set. 
because otherwise we are overwhelmed unless we set boundaries of what our limits are. What do you think? Do you agree about that? Absolutely. We certainly need to be aware of them. But, you know, if we think about compassion, and let me add love to this conversation, let, let, just see how this looks in terms of boundaries. So I, it's easy for me to love my own kids and my wife and, you know, my own immediate family. That's very easy. And typically we, we, we love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's simple. But what about the person on the street corner that I do not know from Adam? How, where's my compassion and my uh, love for that person? So just because I do not know that person, my compassion level will be maybe a, you know, whatever out of 10. It won't be a 10 out of 10 like for my kids mm. and my, and my wife. And that is not, that, that means just because I don't know the person, that, that compassion isn't there. And I think the trick is to, to, that is for me, that is a boundary, personally, that is a boundary that I need to stretch. I need to push that boundary out. I need to cultivate more patience, more understanding, more empathy, um, more compassion for, for people that I don't know. And not just because I know them, include them in my inner circle and draw a line around it. You know, I, I think that is, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, you know, that sort of compassion and empathy, I agree completely. And especially in this divisive world that we're in, we need to start looking at the other. And as, as Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs said, you know, to become a we culture, not an I culture. And, and that is very important. But I'm talking more about if you're in, is there so much in generosity, for instance, there has to be boundaries. Mm. And in, you know, I was stopped uh, quite a while ago um, um, when I was busy shopping and they, the person who stopped me could see I was in a rush, but they wanted to tell me this very long story. And afterwards, when I got in my car, I gave myself hell for not actually saying to them, I'm in a hurry, you know, do you mind? But they were telling me this, this story it was their story, and I didn't set boundaries there. So I ended up being fed up with myself for not setting boundaries. So there's so many different boundaries that we have to to um, to set, and also in valuing our own needs. Mm, absolutely, absolutely, Sue. And I think what you pointed out here so so well is that in, if we're in a relationship that we 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 can be empathetic and and have compassion for the other person. But we cannot take it in. We, we cannot internalize that to our own detriment. You know, we, we need to keep our own psychic balance. Mm-hmm. So, so there has to be a, a boundary that we navigate in every small encounter of listening and be there and treat this person with due respect, but also honor ourselves and keep our own stability, our own mental psychic stability upright. And in, in your case, yeah, you know, maybe this person was a charlatan that was, was onto something else and they just put a f- presence up for you. You know, we, these things happen. You know, people take advantage of you. I'll never forget years ago, someone who was always being asked for money um, and didn't have a fence up. Those were the days when we didn't have fences which we think are boundaries on our properties they're not really but um they didn't have that boundary up and he said he used to dread coming home because the front doorbell would be ringing non-stop with people asking for donations or food or you know money for food or whatever 
and and he felt very bad. But at the same time, his privacy was being um, just ignored completely because of he hadn't set those boundaries up. So the boundary that he set up, because he didn't know how to say no, he said. So instead, he put a big wall up. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, we need to draw those things. But, you know, just I, I can't speak for that person, but just learning how to say no and facing a beggar and saying, listen, I'm sorry, I can't help you now. It, that's It's not comfortable. Hey? We're not comfortable. It's not at all. But, you know, Classy, I'm being told to wrap up. But last year I had Jill Berkowitz, and I've mentioned this often on my program, and she said often you do not – we don't carry change as much as we used to. Uh, in our cars or in our handbags or anything. So she said, just acknowledge them. Mm. Just sort of give them a, a, a slight hand saying you have acknowledged them. And I have been doing that and I have found that I'm getting the same back. You know, a smile and an acknowledgement back that you are human. And very I think good. that's very important. And, and, you know, in a way that is more valuable because you are recognizing the human you're not giving them a five rand or a ten rand. You, know, you, you, you are seeing the person. Namaste. You know, Ubuntu. I like that. Yeah. I like that. On that note, we're going to have to wrap up. Classy, as usual, it's gone so quickly. Thank you so much for being with me. Enjoy your trip in April. Thank you. Sue. And I'd love you to come back and tell me with a few of your your fellow trekkers yes. to yes. come to tell me your experience. Yeah. We're actually doing a climb this time, so we're going much higher, so there's going oh. to be a lot of action. <laughs> okay, well, good luck. Set your boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much Thanks. for being with Thank me. You. Thank you, Craig, for keeping us on air.